Hey y'all, before we get into the latest episode, I just wanted to highlight some really great news. Danielle has launched a workbook that includes a seven day devotional, prayer points, declarations, and some writing prompts. The pre-sale orders are taking place now until November 20th, and then it goes full price. So go ahead and get your copy. The workbook is only $25, so show your support. You can find them on www.iamdaniellejoseph.com. Now on to the episode. The Infertility Podcast is a place of inspiration for every season in life. A resource where listeners can be encouraged to push past obstacles and be motivated by individual stories. The premise of infertility is understanding the season you are in and realizing that there are strategies that can be implemented to enjoy a fertile season. Now on with the show. Welcome to another episode of the Infertility Podcast. Today, I have a fellow podcaster joining to share her story and her infertility journey and provide some insight on secondary infertility. So welcome, Monique. Thank you so much, Minister Danielle. <laughs> you don't have to call me <laughs> Minister Danielle, girl. Just call me I Danielle. just wanted to mess with you for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, dear. It's a pleasure and uh, definitely an honor. And, you know, I think that more women of color have to come together like this. So I was ecstatic when we connected in DMs and we slid into each other's DMs about it. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> so before we get started, I mean, getting into all the questions, um, can you provide a brief description of, of who you are, what you do, um, any highlights that you would like to share before we get into the questions? Yeah, so I'm a mom uh, to an almost four-year-old boy born through and conceived through IVF. And I am a small business owner, have been doing so for 10 years. I'm a wife of almost 10 years come December. Wow. And um, yeah, so we just try to live our best life during COVID land. <laughs> yes. When is your anniversary? December 22nd, girl. Are you serious? Um, my yeah. anniversary is the 20th, December 20th. Shut up. And we're celebrating five years. Yeah. What? Yes, yes. OMG, small freaking world. It oh is. That's awesome. Awesome, awesome. So let's get into the questions because I know you are a busy woman. Everyone tries to tell me I'm busy, but I know you you're are busy. busy. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so um, first question is, why do you feel that infertility is such a taboo subject? And to take it a step further, because, you know, you have a platform. Um, why did you choose to shed light on this subject? So why do you feel it's a taboo subject? And why you, did you choose to shed light on it? Well, you know, I feel like it's a taboo topic because for one, women, men, society, doesn't matter what, well, you know, it does matter what societies. I feel like we are not as, um, as free spirited here in the U.S. like many other countries, like in South America. I know some people, they are very liberated in many ways mm -hmm. about sexual health, um, about sex in general. Yeah. And so I don't feel like we do that here in the U.S. We're very conservative compared to a lot of other continents and countries. Yes. And so then fertility, infertility is very intimate, just like a woman's menses are. We're, we're, we are educated very briefly about the menses, about, um, about 
sex as mm -hmm. teenagers and adolescents. You know, when I had my first health class, I was in the fifth grade. I was 11 years old. It was very brief, very basic, much of which I already knew because my mom was teaching me at home and she mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that, she, that I heard it first at home. And so when I went to junior college after high school, I had a public health class that was an elective and I chose to take it. They talked all about STDs for people in our generation. And I'm an older millennial. I was born in the 80s. And so it was all about STDs. It was all about Planned Parenthood and not getting pregnant, not getting a girl pregnant, not getting STDs. Uh, wrap it up. The condom movement became really mm -hmm. big in the 90s when we were like adolescents and stuff. And mm -hmm. I think that perpetuated a lot of the silent suffering that people go through now with infertility because through all of that, nobody talked about, well, what happens when you can't get pregnant? Yeah. You know? And so that I think to answer your first, a lot of it comes from that. And then to talk about the second half and why I created the platform and why I thought it was important to, you were one of the first podcasts that I saw and noticed in the infertility space that was being done by a BIPOC woman, B-I-P-O-C. You guys know mm -hmm. what that is. And so then Erica McAfee, but she deals more with the losses of black women and maternal, yeah. maternal death rates, right? And then who else is black in this space? There's another young woman, I, I can never remember her name, but she has been around for quite some time and her, her podcast is called Fertility Friday. And she's very well known um, on social media and in the fertility space. And she teaches uh, natural and holistic ways to take care of your, your, um, your um, re uh, female reproductive system. And she doesn't deal with infertility. But you guys were the only black people that I saw that had active podcasts a year right, ago. Right. Yeah, and because I remember doing that re that search. That same search, right, and girl? And there was nobody that looked like us. No. Yeah. No. And then anybody, like there was this black couple. I wish I could remember the name of that podcast. It was infertility something. But it was a black, it's a picture of a black woman and a black man, but it's inactive, you know, so they were talking more about their own journey, but they weren't giving space for anyone else like we do. Yeah. And so, like I said, it was just the three of you guys. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, this is so, this is like enlightening, but at the same time, disappointing. Yeah. Because I expected to find more. And of course, we know it's a very Caucasian space. And so that wasn't, that wasn't new, but I was just. I think I was just more floored at the fact and the realization that there are so few BIPOC women speaking about infertility in the way that we do. Yeah. You know, and you and you and Erica both are faith-based podcasts, mm -hmm. but still speaking about very different topics. Yes. And anybody who's who listens to her or listen or searches podcasts, infertility, infertility, you know, you'll see that she deals with more of the loss and helping women to get through pregnancy and birth alive. Yeah. Women and women of color. And so that's a very different niche. Yes. So I was like, okay, well, it's only even if there was 50 of us, there's still room. Yes. And your voice needs to be and, heard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, and I, I just wanted to give space to other people too. And I wanted to give space to the everyday person. You know, a lot of um, podcasters who are much larger than, than myself or you, or, you know, have more support because they are Caucasian women. They have started doing like celebrity features and things like that. That's mm -hmm. not my judge. They have a platform already. And I feel like the everyday person won't relate to a celebrity the same way they would me or you coming onto a podcast and speaking about it because we are the middle right. class, the upper middle class. And, you know, there's some lower middle class women who wish they could have children and they can't. 
and they'll never be able to afford treatment. And so right. it's important for everybody to have representation, LGBTQ, because that is the reality of the world that we live in. Correct, correct. And even um, as my husband and I have gone into, you know, looking into adoption, right? Um, mm-hmm. That also opens a whole, you know, can of worms, a whole different segment um, of the population who's even considering it. And like you said, the LGBTQ um, community, you know, they are really prominent in adoption nowadays. And so I think that that has come and progressed so much um, in the past 10, 20 years. Um, And so it's just been amazing to see how um, this topic has evolved through time. Um, And like you said, you know, just women like us, um, just putting a face to it, putting a voice to it, um, you know, we're going to get into your story. You're going to talk about, you know, IVF. You're going to talk about secondary infertility, which is um, even subtopics within infertility that are not always discussed, right? And I think it's important um, to just shed light. Um, And I love what you do because even though you're not quote, unquote, (laughs) faith-based, you bring a funny um, spin to things. You know what I mean? Like, I I really advise the listeners to go to, um, Monique's uh, Instagram page, and we'll get the information at the end um, because you will get a good laugh. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's a very serious topic, and and like yeah. you know, I tell people often, you gotta laugh to keep from crying. And so her page really provides a comedic relief, um, but you. she definitely gives like great content, great information um, for women who are um, in this journey. So my next question um, for you is, you know, as I've asked this question to many women, and I was asked this question um, when I was in therapy, so I'm like, let me borrow this question and and see, you know, (laughs) if anyone else is like me. Um, What was your fertility story prior to getting married? Like, did you say, I want to be married at 25, I want to have kids at 27, I want, you know, to stop having kids at 35, and that sort of thing. Did you have a plan of what you wanted your, you know, fertility story to look like? For a long time, I didn't want children, Mm -hmm. you know, and I did everything that I could to not get pregnant. Mm -hmm. I was on birth control. I, I started birth control at like 18, and then I moved into the heavier stuff, the Depro-Provera, the shot, mm-hmm. and was getting that done faithfully every three months, like clockwork. I never missed an appointment. And just like they pushed condoms on us, they pushed birth control on us, um, yeah. you know, us 80s babies and early 90s babies. And so I did everything I could not to get pregnant because I was out there living my best life. Okay. Yes. I was out there clubbing. I was partying and stuff. And I had two friends who got pregnant well three friends who got pregnant all before the age of 23 okay and, so, and you're like no not me what <laughs> babysit what do you mean babysit we can babysit together like you can bring the baby and we can sit down and party in the house or something like that and but I ain't finna stay in the house with no baby you right, right. No, what are you doing baby no so I did everything I could not to get pregnant and that was my thing like I, I had things that I wanted to experience and I liked my freedom even now being married, I still like my freedom, mm-hmm. you know, and, and me and my son before COVID, we would be out there in these streets heavy on the weekend, y'all. I'm trying to tell you because 
can't hold a good girl down. You know, okay. I'm, gonna, I, I'm still going to be a mom. I'm still going to be a wife and I'm going to hold myself accountable, but I'm still going to be out here living my best freaking life. Okay. Right. And so, yeah, for a long time, I just didn't think that I wanted children, but then it wasn't until I met my husband that I started wanting kids really. Mm-hmm. And when the time came to get off of the depo Provera, which is like five to six years after you start taking it. And so here I am 24 ish, 20, uh, 24ish years old and I'm off of it. Um, never had been pregnant before, never knew slips up, slip ups. And like I said before, I was on my, my medication and getting my shot every three months faithfully. So there was never any slip ups, never any miscarriages, abortions or anything to my journey. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So how did you and your husband meet if you can, you know, elaborate on your love story? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting because my husband is very handsome, at least <laughs> in my eyes. And he's from Bangladesh. And we met in my hometown. He normally wouldn't have been my type. He's a lot shorter than the guys that I would have normally dated. Um, and I was married once before in my early 20s, very young. Um, and I'll get into that in a second. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it's okay, Monique. <laughs> He was real loud, though. He was it's loud. fine. <laughs> I'm trying to make your editing process. No, the thing is, I'm not editing. It's going to be a straight shot. So let's go. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I roll. So, yeah, you know, he normally wouldn't have been my type, only because he was short. But mm-hmm. um, he's like maybe half an inch taller than I am. But other than that, he's great. Great catch. He was He's very handsome, chocolate brown, you know, um, beautiful hair, beautiful skin, everything. He was ball put together. He was very mature mm-hmm. towards, you know, us being in our mid twenties, the way we were and, and 25 years old. And so I met him about six months after my, I left my first husband and I was still in the middle of divorce when I met him. Um, but it came together really easily. We felt we were, we are so very different, but we have so much in common. And I said, okay, I'm gonna just go ahead and give it a try. You know, I'm gonna just see, I'm still <laughs> young, you know? And so yeah, it just came together really nicely. And when I met him, I was actually a minister in training for, in the Christian faith. Okay. And I had been for probably about a year at that point. And so I made, I was very honest with him about my spirituality and my religion. And I said, you know, I'm a minister in training. Um, and, you know, this is my life. And he was okay with it. You know, he, mm-hmm. he, he understood what I was trying to do. And he understood the value of having a path, you know, so to speak. And so we dated for... And, and, and during that time, we were engaged as well uh, for about 23 months before we got married. So just shy a month of two years. We took our time. I, and I was very honest with him that I didn't want to rush it, you know, especially coming out of the first marriage at a very young age and stuff. And he was okay with it. He was patient with me, you know, and it was very easy. Our wedding day, we got married at the um, Paris Hotel in Las Vegas. My mom was there. My aunt was there and two of his buddies were there and stuff. And so we didn't make it. Our wedding was very intimate. It was very private and it was very peaceful. Mm-hmm. It was very easy. It was just so easy. Everything about the way our relationship came together was easy. And it, we just, we fit well with each other, even despite our many differences. Mm-hmm. And you, he allowed me to be who I am. You know, he made me give me my, his opinion every now and again, but <laughs> Still gonna do what I want to do because that's, that's just me, you know. That's how you roll. Yeah, you know, and so um 
yeah, he, it was just really easy the way we came together. And even now, like our relationship, like we go through things, but compared to a lot of other things that I've seen people mm-hmm. go through, we, I guess it's just our maturity level and understanding of relationships. Yeah. We, we get, we make it through. And I have learned to be more vulnerable because of him, because he is a very vulnerable person with those he's close to. And he's very nurturing. He's a cancer man. So he's very nurturing in that way. And so our relationship, it went through some things during fertility, but mm-hmm. you know, we're here. Yeah. We're here, 10 you know, years. 10 yeah. strong years. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah. Old, officially an old married lady. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> I'm an old a married lady. That's what I tell everybody. 10 years, you can hang in 10 years. You can hang a lifetime. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, so you, you're married and, you know, we, we know your history of, you know, being on depot. You've gotten off of it. Can you tell us, you know, your story of conceiving your first child? I'm saying first child because there will be a second. Um, so tell us about the journey of you conceiving your first child. So I got diagnosed the year is 2012, I'm 29. We are living our best lives, two years strong in our relationship. And, you know, we just decided that it was time and he was ready. I was ready. And I wanted to have a baby with him. I wanted to have a little chocolate drop with him. (laughs) And I went and got diagnosed um, through the reproductive endocrinology and having the HST, HSG ultrasound test, radiologist test, and I had right tubal blockage in my wow. right tube, and that was it. There was nothing else. There was no other form of cause for infertility. So the first time, the primary cause was right tubal blockage. Mm-hmm. And so here's the shocker. The gag is... I never went back again for four years after having one unsuccessful IUI. And that was because hubby thought we could do it on our own. He was like, look, you got one good tube. Mm-hmm. I got great sperm. <laughs> be fine. We'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. He's, very, he's very ambitious. I'm going to make it happen. We're going to do what we say we're going to do type of guy. Okay. And then life and infertility was like, boom, you know, take that. Yeah. It's, you know, and that's how it felt. And so, Four years, trucking along, running businesses, staying married, having arguments, feeling resentment, mm-hmm. all of the feels. Because you wanted to try other things. I was ready to try other yeah. things. And I was more free-spirited in that way. I'm a Libra, so I am really easily adaptable to things. And so I was like, just please, let's do something. You know, mm-hmm. we need help. There's a medical reason. Even if I have the one tube and it's open, that's fine. But guess what? We've been together for two years and there has been no pregnancy mm-hmm. prior to the diagnosis. Nothing. Okay. Nothing. And so he just wasn't having it. He wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. He was not ready, you know, and, and we had a house, you know, together that we had gotten after we got married and we had it all. Yeah. Like we thought we had did everything right. Mm-hmm go to school, go to college or learn a trade or have know, a, business. a business. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know? And at this point I was no longer what well, I had became ordained before we got married. The same year we got married, I had became ordained that summer, but then I resigned from the Christian organization that I was with and also resigned from being a minister for a whole nother time before a whole nother day. Okay. <laughs> we might have to invite you back for that one. Ooh, girl. Get the tea. Ooh, girl. 
<laughs> whole jug of tea, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Telling you, it's crazy. I don't know how I survived all these things, but we do it, right? So yes. I at, by the time we got married in twenty in twenty ten December twenty ten, I was no longer an ordained minister. I I I resigned, and so I was just still on this spiritual path, but I was doing it alone. And so two years later, still doing it alone. Okay, because. Nobody around me knew what we were going through. My parents and my, my mother and my father were the only two that knew. Mm-hmm. And my aunt and my aunt. I will take that back. My aunt was too because she suffered infertility, but hers was related to that surgery that she had many years ago. Okay. And so, but really it was just my mom and my dad that I had to talk to. And then it was like, my dad was like, what the heck is she even talking about? Infertility? Like it took yeah. my dad a long time to come to, to understand. Yeah. You know, that's my mom. That was the first thing she said was, what? What the heck is that, girl? You know, she only had me, but she had been pregnant before me. And then she just made a conscious decision not to have any more mm-hmm. after me because she was career driven. Mm-hmm. And so all of my grandmothers, multiple children, you know, both mm-hmm. sides, multiple children, you know, the classic hyper fertile is what they deem, you know, people of color and women of color. And, and yes. My grandmothers both had one miscarriage. Um, if both of them had have had all the kids, including miscarriages, one would have had eight, the other one would have had five. Wow. So it just wasn't, there was no signs of infertility. There was no signs. And so it was very shocking that many of you probably already have experienced yourself because otherwise, why, why would you even be listening right now? So, mm-hmm. I'm just going to assume that everybody has had this diagnosis or on their on the brink of getting a diagnosis. And so four years, man, I had to wait four years for this man to get on board. Wow. I had to wait four years. And so, you know, a lot of the uh, arguments we had and the disagreements we had weren't about what we were, were arguing about. It was about infidelity. Right. The underlining issue, right? The underlining yeah. undertone of the angst of what's going on. Yeah. yeah, because I can't, I can't, I can't move forward and pay for this stuff when we share the same bank account. <laughs> like, what the heck would I look like <laughs> going to get more testing? And he's not even on board, you know. And he was barely on board with getting the IUI. Yeah, and having to, you know, do his thing in a cup. So, like, come on, it's so crazy. But we got through it. And by the time, by the time I went back in 2016 to, to, to try again and he broke down, it took four years for this man to break down. Okay. That's how stubborn he is y'all. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like, come on, we got to do something. I'm 32. We're in our thirties now. What's going on? Soon I'll be 35 and they'll be calling me old maternal age mother, you know, right. Maternal age. And so he's like, okay, let's just do it. So we had saved up a, a couple of years before from, for, for this, uh, for this moment, even though we never moved forward a couple of years earlier, we had saved for this moment and to also buy a house because we knew we would need a bigger place after the baby came. And so I went back four years later, found a new doctor and loved them. She's great. And I get diagnosed with hypothyroidism, which is a hormonal disorder. Yeah. Uterine polyps in my uterus and then I also have them on my cervix. The ones on my cervix were never removed, but the ones in my uterus had to be removed first before moving forward. And we know how that is. You gotta get all these things taken care of. Yep. Before you can even move forward. So I had to wait three months to be on medication for the hypothyroidism. Then I had to get the appointment to get the hysteroscopy done to remove the polyps and then we could move forward. So mm-hmm. it was July of twenty sixteen before I could do anything. And the right tubal blockage 
was no longer there. And the radiologist that I saw for this time, he said that sometimes women's tissue from their menses can float on into the fallopian tubes and get stuck. And he said, that's mm. probably what happened and why it had cleared itself. So that was a blessing. But then I had all these other things going on too. Yeah. You know, and so it's just a whirlwind and a spinning, spinning, spinning thing. But I had learned so many tools along with what I already knew from being a minister and heavily in the Christian organization before, coupled with some new things that I had learned. I was able to get through those four years stronger mentally, physically, and emotionally. And so by the time 2016 came around, I was like, come on, let's do it. I was, you know, positive Betty. And that's that's just me anyway. I'm a very optimistic person. And I am able to be a realist as well as be optim- opt- mm-hmm. optimistic at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's just my, that's my thing. Everybody, it's not for everybody. And so the second time for the egg retrieval is when I got pregnant. Okay. And I knew that I would know if I was pregnant before the beta test, this is August of 20, 2016, uh, August 19th, 2016 is when I had the egg um, transfer. Okay. It was, a, it was a fresh cycle, one egg, one chance. And I knew that I would know if I was pregnant before the beta test two weeks later, because my period was scheduled to come the same week of the beta test. My beta test was scheduled for Friday. My period should have been coming that Tuesday before. Okay. Before. And mind you guys, I'm like, what am I? 30, 30, hold on. How old am I? 37? Okay. Let it count for a second. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm mad. I'm 32, going on 33 that summer. And I'm like, I have never had a positive pregnancy test. Mm -hmm. And so I would know. I was convinced that I would know because either this period is going to show up or it's not. And it didn't show. Mm -hmm. I spotted the day before and the day of that day that it was my period supposed to come on that Tuesday. It was the first time in my life I had never had my period on time. Wow. And it was like the best week of my freaking life. Okay. Week ever. I'm not trying to rub it in anybody's face. I'm telling you guys, it was the best feeling ever. And then mm-hmm. to get the call that Friday, I had to wait all day, of course, to get the call to get the beta. It was almost 800. It was like 786 or something like that. Wow. And then two days later, it had tripled. Wow. And we were yeah, you, you was real, real pregnant. I was good. And <laughs> good and pregnant. Awesome. Yes, yes. So, so first child was conceived through IVF and now he's how old again? He is three and a half. Three and a half. Me nuts. <laughs> me nuts. He's very, inter- he's very entertaining like his mother. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, he is like, he's got me beat. He's a superstar and he loved the camera. That's the thing. I had oh. to learn to like the camera and the side that I show on Instagram is the side that like my family and friends would see, but nobody else would see. I promise you guys, if you ever see me in public, I am not this freaking silly, okay? <laughs> I'm not silly. Oh, I'm man. Not silly. Even though I am silly, but I'm not this silly in, in public, okay? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. We, we've talked about this in the podcast before, mm-hmm. but not really in depth, and that is dealing with secondary infertility. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, number 
number one, can you describe what secondary infertility is and how it has impacted your story? So it's the, the textbook definition of secondary infertility is the inability to conceive after having one child. Now, the definitions that I have seen state nothing about whether it's natural or through IVF and whether your first time conceiving was primary infertility or not. So I'm assuming that it doesn't matter whether how you conceived your first child. It's just that the second child is not happening. And so therefore, right. <laughs> you can't get, you know, you have secondary infertility, unless, of course, I would think if you have like a diagnosis of endometriosis, PCOS, um, or you have one tube that's been removed or partial hysterectomy, then that's something different. I wouldn't necessarily call it secondary infertility. I would probably right. just stick with the main primary infertility. But in my All case, right. it's a total of eight years. And even though I had a hormonal disorder, it's not that extensive of a case compared to many other women and men. Mm -hmm. And so I can be classified as secondary infertility. And right now it's pretty much unexplained because the hypothyroidism has resolved on its own over time with my health um, and diet and lifestyle. Not that I was doing anything crazy before as far as not eating properly, but I was, I was doing too much of what I was doing. So I was doing too much working out and I was mm -hmm. doing... And I wasn't eating enough protein being a vegan before I had my son. So those contributed to my hormonal imbalances. And so that I am no longer vegan anymore. When I became pregnant, I started craving meat again. And so now that I've had testing done recently, I don't have the hypothyroidism. And I'm assuming I don't have any more polyps, but we'll see in a couple months. And so secondary infertility is like, you know, what the heck all over again, mm -hmm. you know, four years. I haven't, look, I haven't been on birth control since I was 24. Wow. Oh, and I'm 37. Mm -hmm. So it's been a long time. You know, yeah. my body, my body has definitely had time to detoxify itself from the synthetic hormones. Yeah. So he's been, he'll be four in January and every other day I'm like, no, nah, I'm not having another baby. I don't want to do this again. Or yeah, I do because I want to let, I want to, I want him to have a sibling. I have a sibling, but we didn't grow up in the same household because mm. my dad was married to her, to her mother first. Got and it. So that experience of being in the same household together, we both have always wanted, my sister and I always wanted. And so to be able to give my son a sibling is like another dream come true, come, come true besides having him mm -hmm. and him being the miracle baby that he is and, and things. But if it doesn't happen, then, you know, that's just the will of, of the creator. And it wasn't in the cards for us this time. And there's only so many things that I control. I can control physically to help me get pregnant. You know, some things are just out of our control and we have to surrender to that. Yeah. And so that's, you know, for a long time, I was scared to have another one because he was born so early and that was traumatic. And then I was like, well, do I really want to go through it again? Because this time, the first time was easy compared to many other people. Will the second time be this easy? Right. Will I, will I have diminished ovarian uh, egg reserve this time? You know, will, will I, will they find cysts or just anything, you know? And so, so many it, questions. Yeah, yeah. So many uncertainties again, because mm -hmm. I'm older now, I'm over 35. And the mm -hmm. reality is that our eggs start to diminish after 35. Mm -hmm. Here I am again trying to get my husband. Come on, what are we gonna do? You know, what's the plan? Hello, sir. Come <laughs> on. And he's and he's been saying for a long time he wanted a second, he wanted us to have a second one. But we after we had our son, 
we, like I said earlier, you know, we had saved for the IVF and then we had saved for money to buy a new house. And so we've been here two years trying to get something in. And I'm like, well, look, if, if my, if I turn, turn around and turn eight, uh, 38 and we haven't even started IVF, don't ask me about no more children. Right. Because it took you four time, four years the first time. This time it was me, you know, trying to decide if a second baby was really what I wanted. And then we moved. And so we got to get settled here. You know, it's been almost two years. So now we're good. And I'm like, I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. every other day I'm questioning my decision. And so I just said, you know what? I'm just going to take, take baby steps and just see what the testing says. Yeah. And take it day by day. One day at a time, girl. That's all we can do. And that lends itself to the next question that I have is, you know, what are some steps that you've taken or are you taking now to cope with the season that you're in? You know, the podcast helps a lot mm-hmm. in having a passionate outlet. And a lot of the content that I create online for the fertility community on Instagram specifically is those are my thoughts. Those are my feelings, you know, mm-hmm. even though so many, re, you know, other people resonate with it. Those are still my thoughts. Those are still my feelings. And so that helps a lot having creative outlet like that. And then being able to talk to other podcasters like you and have these moments of vulnerability mm-hmm. on, a, on a regular basis is really therapeutic for me. I'm always journaling, writing in some sort of way, um, analyzing my dreams and not necessarily using it as a distraction, but focusing on the things that I have control over right now in this moment. Yeah. And eating, eating, you know, to um, optimize my fertility and not drinking too much or not consuming too many sugary foods, trying to keep my health at my, my, my weight at a healthy weight, not only for the life of a second baby, but also for my son, because he's a toddler. Yeah, you, know? you got a and lot he, running around to do. Come and he's a boy. Yeah, you know, you know, we're talking wrestling matches. It's on a daily basis, a couple times a day. Here, you know, it's a madhouse around here. All <laughs> to take care of, and I got this man to take care of. You know, and just COVID. You know, yeah. that's another yes. thing. And so, yes. so many things. Oh my gosh! And All it's so. Way so hard for everybody right now mm-hmm. yeah it's it's, it's it's so hard right now and i think black people and people of color in general are not given the freedom to speak and to have these types of outlets mm-hmm. so that's when the silent suffering begins yeah with having the podcast i just feel so liberated because i'm like nobody can tell me to shut up now mm-hmm. Or try to censor what you're trying to say. Because this space is mine. And if they mm-hmm. try to take it off the platform, I can put it back on the platform. Yeah. Yes. You know, you can shut my page down. You can shut my podcast down. But I still got the files. Down. I got the audio. Yeah. <laughs> I got the files. And I'm going to put it somewhere. Yes. You know? And so that's, that's using the podcast as, in, uh, as, a, as a, a creative outlet and uh, advocacy uh, outlet. Because that's what we're doing here is advocating for a social cause mm-hmm. has been more of a reward than any thank you somebody could tell me. Yeah. You know? And it is a major part of my mental health is podcasting and then having my son. Because babies and children in general remind you of the now. 
Mm-hmm. Babies don't worry about tomorrow. Babies right. at his age don't even understand the concept of tomorrow. tomorrow. It's true. Okay. I tell him tomorrow all the time. He's like, okay, but he doesn't know tomorrow is tomorrow. Mm-hmm. He only knows what's right now in this moment and these next hours until his eyes go to sleep. And, he, and that's why babies hate going to sleep because they think it's going to all be over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so he teaches me all day, every day, just take a moment, you know? And, yeah. and so, because I am a stay at home mom and I do the podcasting, which is very challenging to have, um, not have any space to do it. Uh, in a in a in a way that I would feel would be ideal, the next person would say would be ideal. But when I'm podcasting or if I'm editing or something like that, he comes over to me. I always tell him yes. Mm-hmm. And I always and I always stop for him, you know. And I tell anybody that comes on, look, my son might come in here. If you can't deal with it, then this isn't the podcast guest feature for you. Then right, you don't belong here on this podcast because my my listener friends know that he he might make an appearance or two. Yes. And, so, and it's okay. And it's 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 okay, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm not here to be rigid, rigid, and I'm not here to be conservative. I'm here to be candid and, yes. and, and speak the truth, you know. And that's what people come to listen to. I think with podcasts, they want to hear somebody else's um, opinion in a in a candid way, in their way. Mm-hmm. And, and and so, you know, getting back to the question of not necessarily a lot of the tools that I use look distracting, but they're not for me. They're therapeutic. Uh oh. He was mad at my mom so much. Oh, he was done. I can tell by his face. <laughs> he likes to argue. He's a debater. Well, uh. yeah. So, like with COVID, I've been outside. We've been outside so much, walking and being outside, and having him makes it easier for me. Only because he's he's he, you know, and we can't go see our cousins right now. We can't go see my girlfriend and her kids right now because you know, they are exposed to things that we're not exposed to being that she's a nurse. Okay. Not necessarily her job being the issue, but because she's out in public a lot, you know, in spaces that I probably won't be. And even though that, you know, where she works at is very, you know, um, they're really locked down and tight. You know, she has a family and I don't know where anybody's been. I don't know where my sister's been. I don't know, you know, I can't do, we can't do any of the normal things that we normally would do in a way that we normally would do it. And so, Getting outside has been really therapeutic. I love being outdoors when there's not a whole lot of freaking mosquitoes. Okay. (laughs) And mosquitoes were terrible this summer, but you know, we dealt with it. But and then my husband went home a lot this summer. So that really helped. And me getting some mommy time. Um, you know, being a stay-at-home parent is very difficult. And then Mm -hmm. also trying to prepare myself mentally for possibly having another baby and possibly going through IVF again. And like I said, I do a lot of writing, but you have to find what works for you and you have to simplify your routine. Yeah. So, so much of infertility is, is complex and difficult and arduous and causes all of these roller coasters. So home life should be easy during your journey. If, mm-hmm. if I can advise anybody is just make your home life easy. You don't feel like cleaning up today? Don't clean up. <laughs> it can wait. If you don't feel like making the bed this morning, don't, don't do it. Good. Don't, 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 don't do the shoulds and the coulds and the woods and all that stuff. And then, you know, maintaining intimacy with your spouse is important. 
And it's so difficult because you don't feel sexy all the time and you don't feel beautiful all the time. You don't feel masculine for the guys all the time and you don't feel uh, attractive all the time. And you're just bogged down by so many uncertainties and so many fears and so many questions. And it's nothing sexy about any of that. (laughs) And so it's so difficult to be, to maintain intimacy and intimacy could just be like holding hands, you know, or rubbing your man in the back of his neck to get his attention or something like that. Uh Oh, here we go. So yeah, just, just the little things guys, the little, little things make so much of a difference. Yeah, definitely. So to close this out, do you have any words of encouragement or advice for women that are going through this season? Please do not suffer in silence. Mm. Please don't do that to yourself. I've been there. I've done it. I did it for four years. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Don't, don't, don't suffer in silence. And I'm not saying that in like a way that's reprimanding, but I'm saying it in a way because women need other women. Yeah, definitely. Your man can't do it all. And and men want to fix stuff. Your girlfriend is going to listen and she's just going to hold space for you. Definitely. Find somebody, find a group of women, someone, some some people to to share your grief with. Because infer- a lot of infertility is, is about grief. Mm-hmm. You grieve Definitely. in everything. Yep. And, and, and a lot of us go through miscarriages along the way. We've been on the journey for a while. Mm-hmm. You know? And so... Uh- just give give yourself some grace too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, give yourself some grace. Be have the compassion that you have for other people with yourself. It's very difficult. It takes a little practice along the journey, but it, it can be done. Yes, it can be done. Just a little practice. Definitely. And hold strong to your faith. Yeah, whatever that is, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like for you. How, whatever it looks like, yeah, for you personally. Definitely. So thank you so much, Monique, for being on. How can we connect with you? How can we stay connected with you? So you can just follow me on IG, Infertility and Me Podcast. And yes. the website is also infertility and me podcast doc. He's a strong boy. awesome all this is going to be in the show notes though so and for anyone tuning in Uh, you can definitely um connect with monique on um instagram as she stated her page is hilarious um and like i said earlier she provides some really great content about the journey um and has created a safe space for women who are going through this journey. So very, very thankful um, for her. Yes, not only of being on this podcast, but also hosting a podcast of her own. So again, Monique, thank you so much for tuning in. I really, really appreciate you. Thank you, Danielle. Love you, you, girl. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of the Infertility Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Infertility Podcast. Be sure to connect with me via social media. 
You can find me on Instagram at I am Danielle Joseph or on Facebook, Master Mentor and Minister. Or you can visit my website, which is www.iamdaniellejoseph.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.